Uh, this morning, I'd like to share something of my, my sort of my ministry journey with you. Uh, for years and years and years, I was just sold out on direct evangelism. Now, I don't want you to think that the leader of Chosen People Ministries does not believe in evangelism anymore, okay? It's just, let's just say that my ideas about how we share the gospel have changed over the years. And in fact, if I would have known about the $1,000 Hershey stuff, I would have changed the name of my my message to uh, Hershey's for Heroes, which I might do at the next congregation, and nobody will know. Uh, But I want to talk about how we bring this wonderful, glorious, good news of the risen Messiah who has transformed our lives and existence. And so, let me bring you on that journey uh, with me, just for a moment. So we're going to begin, don't don't start it yet, we're going to begin by watching a video. And uh, this video and this ministry has really changed me. And so I want to share this with you. So this takes place uh, in Israel, so this is good. We're all on the same page today. So this takes place in Israel, and we're not quite giving out chocolate, but it's similar, okay? <laughs> so why don't we roll uh, the video. Listen carefully, because the people who are speaking have even more of an accent than I do. So listen very carefully, and it will bless you. Roll it. Took me and Lizzie, my twin sister, in the barrack 24. Wolfgang Schlutz was a cruel man. He made so many experiments with so many twins. My sister, my twin sister, was sick with typhus. She could not eat nothing. She could not drink nothing. And she passed away. The SS, the Nazis, took me with dogs to ghetto and from ghetto to concentration camp. My life here in Israel is very difficult. For example, now come winter, I cannot pay for heating. And without heating, I cannot be because it's so cold. I do everything that I must not sit at home. And it is not good because home is sweet home, if if it is sweet home, but this home is not sweet. What we are facing today is a very uh, tragic uh, situation. Many of those who are Holocaust survivors desperately need support uh, from the government. They are provided with the very, very basic needs. But when it comes about real social uh, help, spiritual support, those people completely neglect it. That is why Chosen People Ministry, we decided to stretch our hand of help to those people, providing them all different kinds of services, uh, humanitarian help, spiritual help, psychological help, fellowship. So we are trying actually uh, to bring to them this love given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Every time uh, happens something in south of Israel, the city of Zderot become in news because it was under fire, people was leaving the city, and we Chosen People Ministry decide to show to people a love of believers. I found around 100 people live in this city 
who is Holocaust survivors. When I hear these stories, I understand only Jesus can heal these people. Only Jesus can help them. So we try to listen to them and support them. And you know, I found some of them very lonely. We try to show them love. And you no, know, once I was asked them about Jerusalem, and I learned most of them was never in Jerusalem. Because they can't go, they doesn't have cars. We start to took them out from the city to Jerusalem to show them biblical places, to share with them uh, good news, and we took them to other parts of Israel. And God opened for us door to take them not only in Israel but out of Israel. Everything what we're doing because we love these people and we want to bless them. Maxim do very much for me. They uh, they show me this right way. It is only one way to believe to Yeshua. Today, it is my way. I know that it is my way. In 10 years from now, there will be none, or maybe just few of these dear people here in Israel. That creates a huge sense of urgency. Because if not now, so when? For me personally, I was never think to serve old people because you know always my dream was to serve young people to go with youth but today I'm so happy when I see faces of these people when I see a smile of these people when I see them again I sense God for his continue to bless them and give them life isn't it? Well, uh, not only did uh, Irina come to faith, but also uh, the first man that you heard was is Chaim, and he was immersed just about five months ago. But let me tell you about Shulamit. She's my favorite. <laughs> Shulamit's 92. And uh, so I was just in Israel with our, with our chosen people team there. And we had an event for these Holocaust survivors uh, in our building in Jerusalem. It was a luncheon, about 50, 60 people. And Shulamit was there. But she's 92, and they take public transportation. And Sederoth is a bit of a schlep, you know, and uh, if you've been there. And so by bus and everything. And so we let the 92-year-old stay in our building overnight and to, to take her home the next day, of course. And so I was going down to set a route just to say hi to everybody because a lot of the folks that we're ministering to are in this little town of set a route. You know where that is, most of you? It's, you know, it's about a, about a half a mile from Gaza. And uh, that's where a lot of the missiles have been uh, falling. And it's filled with uh, elderly Holocaust survivors hundreds, maybe a few thousand. And so on the way down, uh, I was trying to be, uh, I hadn't really met Shulamit before, so I was trying to be very nice and very sensitive and not be too direct and, and so on. And uh, so we're chatting a little bit, and I had two Russian speakers in the car and me and Shulamit, and Shulamit speaks, I don't know, about like eight languages, but none of them are English. And so... 
And so I had a good conversation because I had two translators, one going in and one going out. And, and uh, so Maxime just says, uh, and it, everything's being translated, he said, Shulamit, so tell Mitch how you feel about Jesus. I said, you didn't even say Yeshua. I mean, you know, Maxime, what kind of Russian messianic Jew are you? And, uh, and so she said, oh. Now, you have to understand that almost all the way through the trip, this 92-year-old lady, Shulamit, was texting. <laughs> okay? Her buds. Most of them are a little younger than her, you know, mid-80s, a little older. And so, and so Shulamit says, how do I feel about uh, Yeshua? Well, first of all, I've learned a lot about Yeshua. And the reason is, is because we feed these people. We do holiday events with them. We take them out of the country. We take them to Poland. We take them to Germany, believe it or not. We take them to Denmark. And Shulamit's been like on every trip we've done in the last four years, you know. And, uh, and so Shulamit says, well, I've, lear- I've learned a lot. And you know what? In my heart, I, I think... I think I'm, I'm almost there. And I said, oh, that's great, Shulamit. And, said, and think about what she's about to say. She says, I think I believe in my heart. <laughs> For those of you who are thinking about Romans 10, I think I believe in my heart. And, she said, and then she said, and this is a supposedly a literal translation, she said, but I'm having some trouble just wrapping my mind around it. <laughs> and... So we had, a, we had a great time. And then I heard a little bit more about Shulamit's testimony because I asked her, what, what has brought you to this besides all of the kindness and love that Maxime and our team has shown them? And she said, well, I've begun to realize that, that God has been involved in my life. Because, you know, a lot of these Russian Jewish people, they were atheists too. So, I mean, you're really batting a thousand, aren't you? You know, Jewish, atheists, communists, you know, Holocaust survivors moved to Israel. Easy, isn't it? Right? And so she said, I, but I've begun to see God's involvement in my life. I said, how's that? She said, well, I was from uh, a little village in the Ukraine called Venitsia. And I almost remembered the name of this little place. And because it's very famous for a very bad reason. And I I said, well, when did you get out? And she said, September 1941. I said, how did it happen? She said, well, I was a teenager, and my whole family was lined up, and we had just dug a pit. And then the young Nazi soldiers, and they were like kids if you see the pictures, the young Nazi soldiers lined us all up over the pit, and they put a pistol to each person's head and shot them, and they fell into the pit. She said, some were dead, some weren't dead yet. And she said, I saw them kill my mother, and my father, and my sister. And I said, well, what did you do? She said, I ran. I said, in the middle of all this, you just ran? She said, I just ran. And nobody stopped you, she said. They shot at me, but they missed. 
and I ended up in the forest. And some Ukrainian Catholics took care of me. And they hid me for the rest of the war. So I didn't know what happened until I got back and learned that everybody was killed. The reason Venezia is famous is because there were two mass shootings of the 28,000 Jewish people that lived in Venezia, one on September 16th and the other on September 22nd in 1941. And Venezia is famous because all 28,000 Jewish people who lived in Venezia were killed, except Shulamit. And there is a famous picture, you can see it online if you want, if you can handle it. I barely can handle it. But there's a picture called The Last Jew of Venezia. And it's all over the place. And there's a young Nazi soldier with a gun to the head of this poor Jewish person just before he was shot. And it's a very famous picture. So I know this is going to sound almost trite. So I, I looked at Shulamit's, and I, 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 mean, I had no idea what to say. I couldn't even keep my composure. And I said, so I guess you feel like God's kept you alive for a purpose. And she said, I do. I do. And I've, I've heard that Shulamit's accepted the Lord. And so, so here's, here's my challenge from a guy who's probably handed out more gospel tracts than you've ever seen, okay, over the years. My, my challenge is this. You see, I don't believe for one minute that direct evangelism or evangelism through word would have ever reached Shulamit, Chaim, or Irina. It may be, but I, can't, I, can't, I just can't believe it. And so we have been called to proclaim the kingdom of God and we need to understand that that goes beyond words. It, you know, you have to proclaim the kingdom of God with what you do, not just with what you say. And sometimes you have to resort to chocolate bars. <laughs> but we have to be able to hold this in balance because sometimes... People show a lot of love and never say anything. And then some people say a lot but never show any love. And, you know, this is the body of Messiah. You know, we swing this way, then we swing that way, you know. And we need to strive for balance so that our testimony to our beloved Jewish community is holistic and integrated and consists of both word and deed. You, you, you understand my, my challenge? And I know you're working on it. So probably the best place to find an answer as to how to balance word and deed is in the life of Yeshua. So we're going to look at a few verses from Matthew chapter 9. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, Chapter He finished up in chapter 7, and of course, if you go on one of Larry's trips to Israel, you know exactly where he preached that sermon. Larry does change the sermon spot a few different times every year, you know, year after year. 
chapter 8, I find, if you want to have an exciting moment and, have, and get pumped and feel the blood rushing through your body, read Matthew chapter 8. Okay, Matthew chapter 8 leaves you spellbound and breathless. And if you don't want to fall in love with that Yeshua after reading Matthew chapter 8, if you don't want to know him after reading Matthew chapter 8, then you're on drugs. So in Matthew chapter 8, we have three miraculous healings. We have the deliverance of a man possessed by demons. And then in the beginning of chapter 9, he heals another individual by telling him his sins are forgiven. He raises a young girl from the dead, instantly cures a woman hemorrhaging from blood. And then he meets two blind men, heals them, and then, just for good luck, he casts the demons out of a mute man who's now able to speak. All in a day's work for Yeshua. And it was no wonder that, ah, there's verse 35, that's good. There's, there's no wonder that Matthew uh, said in verse 34, you don't just focus on 35. In verse 34, Matthew says, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Well, you bet! That's because the Messiah has come. And so Matthew uh, records, I think, one of the best summaries of the life and ministry of Yeshua, who was able to keep word and deed in perfect balance because he does everything perfectly. And so Yeshua was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so I was illustrating this because I, I, I was thinking through the sermon a lot. And so I was talking to a friend. I said, I said it goes like this, you know. I think it may have been Larry. So you're walking along if, with Yeshua and uh, meets a demon-possessed guy, says, you're healed. Sees a sick person, says, you're healed. Finds somebody over here, and he says, the kingdom of God is like this, you know, so he's teaching a little bit. And then uh, he finds uh, uh, someone else, and he heals him over here. And, you know, just walking around with Yeshua would have been an awesome, huh? And I want to take walks with Yeshua when I meet him in heaven, you know? I mean, it's, it's awesome. Uh, well, we'll see where I meet him, but, you know... Maybe on the way up, on the way down. But he was amazing because he never had a problem with it. It was deed, it was word, it was deed, it was word, and there was never any kind of a stress or search for balance. And so I'd like to look at this just a little bit in more detail. So first, let's think about good deeds. Let's think about good works. Let's think, think about the miracles of Yeshua. The miracles of Yeshua, particularly the healings in Matthew and in the rest of the Brikharashah, are not just miracles because of the fact that he wanted to take care of people. That is absolutely true, and I don't want to diminish the miracle, especially if, if I was one of the people who was blind and I could now see. You know, that miracle would have been important to me just because I can now see. But the miracles were more than just miracles. The miracles were authenticating signs that the Messiah had come. And you can see that uh, in the few chapters later when the emissaries of John, Yochanan, come and ask Yeshua 
while John's in jail, they ask Yeshua, you know, are you really, you know, the Messiah? And so Yeshua sends them back and says, go and report to Yochanan what you hear and see in Matthew 11. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Wow. But he doesn't stop there. And the good news is preached to the poor. (laughs) Now this is almost a quote from Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6 which described the miraculous portfolio of the Messiah, how you could identify that the Messiah had come. Isaiah said, in that day, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. And so, John, Yochanan, all that you were hoping for in the coming of the Mashiach has come, I am he, my miracles speak for myself. If you, if, you don't need to listen to what I say, just look at what I've done. Now, in thinking about doing good deeds, Yeshua doesn't need me to authenticate his Messiahship by going out and doing miracles. That would probably confuse people. Um, and I wish I could do the miracles that Yeshua did in the way that he did it. If I really could do that, then I wouldn't be here. I'd be in the hospital this morning, healing people. And I probably would be out finding some way to feed the hungry without having to have a budget for food. (laughs) But even though we're not Yeshua and we can't do the exact deeds that Yeshua does, not even for the overall purpose for which he did it, We can do something because he empowers us to do good deeds. And so we can help the sick to heal. We can comfort the lonely. We can feed the hungry. We can care for the needy. We can even be used by God to help those who are possessed and enslaved by the vices of this world to be set free. And we can bring his peace to those who are in dark and turbulent places in their lives without hope and ready to give up. God wants us to do stuff, to do good deeds. The power of the kingdom is unleashed through the good deeds that we do. Now, in in the Jewish community, we speak about tikkun olam. And I've thought a lot about tikkun olam, and I, I like tikkun olam, but I've decided to create a new word because I think messianic is a great adjective. You know, messianic dance, messianic rabbi, messianic congregation. Messi- I mean, you can have messianic everything, you know. And, uh, and so I've decided that we should have messianic tikkun olam, <laughs> which, of course, most uh, in traditional Jewish thinking, tikkun olam means the healing of the world, and the total and complete healing of the world will happen in the Messianic age. So in effect, tikkun olam, when you do that, is saying, is trying to relate the Messianic age to our our current world. Well, if anybody should be doing tikkun olam, it's us. Because we know that 
even though we're not living in the fulfillment of the Messianic age, we know that the Messiah of the Messianic age has come. And so we want to be God's instruments of doing tikkun olam. But what I've noticed most of the time in the Jewish community, and uh, my wife Zahav and I uh, quite often go to a, a great conservative synagogue in Manhattan, where it's the only synagogue I know where they actually uh, do a lot of dancing. So it's a lot of fun. And they pack the place out about over a thousand people on Erev Shabbat. I mean, can you imagine? Average age is about 35. It's, a, it's quite a synagogue. And uh, they always talk about tikkun olam because this agenda to change the world and transform the world, uh, social idealism is very big among our young people, isn't it? And it should be. It should be. But they never talk about tikkun olam in, in a personal way. They always talk in terms of transforming the environment and, and uh, setting political prisoners free. And they've made everything to be a matter of social change. I want to see us think about doing tikkun olam resulting in heart change. Not just changing the environment. Although I don't want to be the guy that says, you know, I don't care about, uh, uh, about the environment. But tikkun olam is more than relieving the disastrous effect of carbon gases in this world. <laughs> and though, so we should care about the environment, but I believe we should care more about people. And I think we need to, to think about tikkun olam in terms of people. That's messianic tikkun olam in my understanding. Not that the other is not good. So God unleashes the power of his kingdom, the good news through what we do, but also God unleashes his power through the word that's proclaimed, doesn't he? There's more to tikkun olam than relieving the immediate pain caused by the ravages of sin. As followers of Yeshua, we understand the spiritual pain that men and women today have. And we're painfully aware of the judgment to come, aren't we? And if all we did was relieve temporary pain and suffering and did not attend to the spiritual needs of the human soul, then we would all be short-sighted and delinquent in our gospel responsibilities. You ever see those really cool bracelets? You know, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? We changed it to WWYD. You know, what would Yeshua do? By the way, Chosen People has really cool red Isaiah 53 bracelets too, if you want those. Now, they're nice. Okay? So, I, I do think the whole idea of what would Yeshua do is good, but I also think it's important to have... W-W-Y-S. What would Yeshua say? (laughs) Our good deeds give power to our words. The good news must be lived, but the good news must also be preached, must be proclaimed, or those whose lives we touch with God's love will not know why we've done it, and then once they've been relieved of their earthly pain, 
then they will not have what we have, what we want them to have, which is the gift of eternal life. So let's look at this passage just for a little bit longer. Larry said I could preach for an hour, which was really cool. I like that. And so I I just want to look at at two things. Uh, First of all, I want to look at the motivation of Yeshua for why he did what he did. Why should we do good deeds? Why should we proclaim uh, the word? Well, in the text... Uh, we see, and uh, you're going to have to jump it up to 30. There you go. Oh, you guys are good. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what motivated Yeshua? Because we need that same motivation to do good deeds and to proclaim the word. So seeing the people we read, he, Yeshua, felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So, bottom line is, if we're going to proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of God in both word and deed, we have to care about people. And so, we need to be motivated or nothing's going to happen. We need to see people through the eyes of the Savior or else we won't be able to care for them. So Yeshua saw people as distressed, a term in the Greek which means to be worried or troubled. And then he also saw people that were dispirited. You adapted the New American Standard, very good. And so he sees them as dispirited. And that's a great word in the Greek because it comes from the word to throw or to cast. And so Yeshua saw people who either felt or were truly marginalized. They felt like they were the cast off of society. And that broke his heart. Society may have cast you off, Yeshua felt, but I don't. Yeshua is driven, therefore, by compassion over what he sees. Now, that's a great Greek word. That's a Greek word that's really unpronounceable, but uh, I'll pronounce it my way. Larry can correct me in two weeks. And uh, that's the Greek word splankos, splankonos. It's really very difficult to pronounce. It's very difficult to understand because we think of it as an emotion when really, in the Greek, it's a body part. So it refers to something inside, and there's debates as to whether or not it refers to the kidney, the spleen, or the liver, or the bowels. (laughs) But you have to be Jewish to understand this, right? Because we know what it is. It's the (laughs) kishkis. If only the writers of the New Testament were real Jews and spoke Yiddish. And so he's referring to the kishkis. And so this word, compassion, speaks of the emotion that comes out of the kishkis. 
When you see people that you love that are distressed and marginalized. One scholar called it a gut level compassion. (laughs) He was cleaning it up. It's that uncontrollable feeling you have when you see a child suffering or a person you love in intolerable pain. It's, it's the unutterable groan that bursts out of your, your lips when you see someone you care about who is suffering. It's the uncontrollable tears that come when you see somebody you love who's just in such bad shape. We need to have the compassion of the Messiah for those who are lost in sin. I think the best way to understand it is that when Yeshua heard about death taking his friend Lazarus, he wept. And he wept over Jerusalem. Isn't it good to know that Yeshua was a man's man who could weep? That's why men can relate to him. Ladies, I'm just making a point here. (laughs) Yeshua wept. So guys, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to have your heart broken. And Yeshua's heart was broken. But let's face it. Our hearts are more easily broken by seeing children who are hungry than seeing people get out of a BMW going into Starbucks who might be as lost on the inside as the child or the young person who doesn't have enough to eat. And it's really difficult to have as much compassion for the BMW guy as it is for the kid. Now, I have compassion on any of you who have BMWs because I understand what you're going to have to pay for repairs. 